0: Look, we're going we're to step towards god's word now uh and i'm going to give us the bible reading before we start uh so we're in ephesians chapter 5. uh we're going to read from verse 1 through to 21 although we're really preaching 3 to 21 today um, if you've got a bible there i invite you to open it up it's on page 20 of my bible which is different to all of yours therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking for you, uh, sorry, which are out of place, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And if we were one of those liturgical sorts of churches, we'd say, this is the word of the Lord. Yeah. I don't know why I did that. Anyway, Uh, look, I might just pray for us and then we're going to dive into this. Jesus, uh, would you open our hearts to your word today by your spirit? uh, We pray, Lord, that we would be filled with the spirit, that you would be shining the light of Christ on us today, that we would see your truth and be transformed, that you would lead us, Lord, in these challenging words to be a people who display the gospel more clearly because we love it and so we obey it lead us lord to walk in line with you to walk in the light and not as the people of darkness we pray it in jesus name amen so um we've been going through the latter half of the book of ephesians Well, we've been going through the book of ephesians we're in the latter half uh and In the latter half, Paul is applying gospel truth to our lives. Uh, This should be a a fairly familiar theme for most of us by now. Uh, This part of the letter to the Ephesians, and indeed a large chunk of every letter of the New Testament, uh, acts to combat a really common, really popular, but deeply misplaced idea in the church today. Uh, It's quite popular to think that Uh, calling Christians to live a moral life is equated with something we call legalism. Uh, To say that we need to live out a certain morality is what we call legalistic. Uh, The popular argument goes something along these lines. No, you can't tell me what to do. I'm saved by grace, and by grace alone, not works. That's legalism. And, and, and let me say, there is a significant truth at the root of that. The truth is, we are saved by grace and by grace alone. Nothing you do gets you to God. Nothing you do will keep you with God. Nothing you do will, on the last day, be what brings you into his presence. It will be all grace. Uh, to say otherwise, to say that morality saves you past, present, or future, is textbook legalism. But to say that the gospel of your salvation leads to a more moral life, leads to, calls you in specific areas of your life and in every area of your life to be changed, to be transformed, to become like Christ, morally like Christ, is not legalism, that's, that's the Bible. Uh, a huge amount of the Bible, in fact. In brief, the gospel does not call us to live for salvation, but to live from it, to to let our salvation influence and pour out through our lives. We're not called to be good enough to gain it. We could never do that. Rather, we're called to understand that God has done something profoundly within us that has changed us fundamentally, and therefore we live differently now. A useful way of thinking about this, which we've mentioned uh, once or twice during this series, and the concept of it has come up quite a bit, uh, is the idea of gospel identity. Uh, we have a, a gospel identity if we are in Christ. Gospel identity is the same concept that we talked about last week uh, when we talked about this thing that we keep on seeing that. We are defined by the truths of the gospel when applied to our lives. And last week we saw that applied to the way that we relate to one another, which, which in some, to some extent we're continuing on with this week. And the flip side of that was that if we are not defined by the gospel, we will be defined by something else. We'll seek our identity elsewhere and we'll be, we'll be tossed and turned by, by the different uh, pressures and uh, just, just factors in our lives, uh, by how I see... You will define how I react to you rather than the grace and the love of God poured into me in my gospel identity. And and if you recall, uh, the last two verses of last week's passage, which we read out again today, uh, gave us this firm gospel grounding, which spoke into into that section. And it also acts as kind of a launch pad for this part that we're stepping into today. The gospel truths that Paul, uh, Paul called us back to were quite simple and they were quite revolutionary. It's in verse one and two of chapter five there. Uh, If you've believed in Jesus, here's, here's your gospel identity right here. You are a beloved child of God. And Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us. Do you see, those aren't just distant realities. There is a world of difference between saying God loves his children and that's true God does love his children but there's a huge difference between saying that and saying I am a beloved child of God he loves me it's not just Christ died for sinners the Bible does say Christ died for sinners but it is Christ loved us and gave himself up for us This is our identity, this is who we are, loved. Loved in such an active and powerful way, especially as we look to the cross, we see this. Gospel identity works like this. We say, because of who God is and what God has done, will do, and and is doing right now, this is who I am as a result. And that is the truth that defines how I live. So, because christ loved me and gave himself up for me i am his beloved my identity is loved by god beloved child of god so i will live uh, i will love my brothers and sisters like we saw last week and we continue to see now because that's that's who i am now it flows out of what has happened to me through him who i am in him leads me to love you guys and leads us to love one another and so today we come into another passage where Paul is calling us to a certain way of living. And it's, it's uh, something we need, need not avoid. Our tendency as Christians is we love the bits that give us the big soaring truths and we avoid the bits that give us the, the, the details of, of, well, what does that mean for me? But we need not avo- avoid this. We need to embrace this because that's who we are now. This shows us how to live as who we are. And so today we come uh, into this passage uh, and, and we're going to be covering the first 21 verses of chapter five today. Uh, and it's not going to be 100% linear. We're going to, we're going to dig through this by, by, by picking the themes of what are the things he's calling us to and then going back over and seeing why does he call us to those things. And, and loosely, Paul addresses three really potentially quite uncomfortable areas of our lives today. Uh, two at the start of the passage one right down at the end and he tackles them head-on he has no qualms about this he speaks to our sexuality he speaks to our money and he speaks to our consumption specifically to alcohol although the the principles can be applied more broadly than that first he says he says this but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints now, that concept there of covetousness uh, really is referring to, the, the word uh, can just as easily be translated as greediness. Greed. Which, which when you think about it, it's basically the same thing. Uh, desiring what you don't have living for more of what this world has to offer especially money and then he's going to continue on and take it a little bit further in this first section and call us away not just from sexual immorality and from greed uh, but also from vulgar speech basically what he's saying is be free from ungodly sexuality ungodly greed and be free from that flowing out into your words as well but what we we should see here is that again he's rooting this in our identity but what Paul doesn't say is don't do that don't do that do this done what he says is put away sexual immorality and greed let's get the exact wording here shall we as is proper among saints saints is a word that we could really easily skip over and just be like okay it's one of those christian words tick move on Uh, but but we shouldn't Um, we we often look at it today it's it's usually treated as like a special title for special people who are the the fancy dancies but uh i just made that term up but um you know maybe someone who's got a, a special check from the pope or something like that saints really biblically is a word that just means god's holy set apart people holiness is the core of what it means to be a saint and remember remember in this letter holiness isn't first something that you do holiness is first something you have been chosen for that has been done in you through the gospel Paul wrote, way back in chapter 1, he wrote, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless in his sight. So again, Paul's calling us to live out our gospel identity as the holy people of God, as those who've been made holy, as we're made able to in Christ. And that applies to our sexuality, and that applies to our money. We live in a culture here and today, where there is immense, obvious pressure on the church to cave in the area of sexuality. Um, If you haven't run into this, just, just, I I think most of us have, (laughs) to be honest, I don't think I need to say that even. Biblical sexuality is very simple and it's very good. Here it is. It's a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman to the exclusion of all others in marriage. That's biblical sexuality and when embraced and lived biblically there is categorically no better way to figure out sexuality than this there's nothing better and you might be thinking right now uh john that doesn't really sound like my marriage i'd I'd love to know more about how marriage works gosh you know he looks like he's just going to move on and i'm going to move on because next week we're talking about marriage that's where paul goes there Uh, so just just hold your breath and wait for next week don't hold your breath until next week that's a bad idea um but biblical sexuality uh which which we'll see next week is an outworking of gospel truth in our lives just just wait for that next week Uh, and we live in a day when the prevailing wisdom goes something like this that is outdated outrageous and frankly rubbish how could you possibly believe something so repressive even so, destructive to people to think that they should should contain sexuality like that, you know, and not just not just have it flow out in every single part and every single season of their lives. Have, what you people are, cra- you people are crazy. And don't worry, this is the kind of thing that Paul anticipates. He warns us about it because he says, "Let no one deceive you with empty words." He knows empty words are going to come our way. He knows that people are going to try and argue, well, no, 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 you, you got your, your Bible, it's a very old document, we've got a better way of doing this now. And he said, no, 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 that's emptiness, don't believe it. Christians, we've got to be sure to stand on the truth here uh, and say no. Uh, and, and, and what that looks like primarily is not going out and telling other people how they are wrong about their take on this. What it looks like is being clear on our take on this, clear on the Bibles, and, and, and even more fundamentally that, clear on our identity. I'm not defined by this world. That's our approach to this. My identity is not defined by the pressures of this world. My identity is not defined by sexuality. My identity is defined by Christ, so I'm going his way on this. And it's so important that we grasp the identity roots of our response here, because our day and our age very commonly places our identity in our sexuality. It says, who I am attracted to, or the, the acts that I'm attracted to, those are the fundamental truth about who I am. That's my identity. And that is just so destructive to a person. I don't know if you've come across this because that identity will never satisfy a person and ultimately will lead them to, to crave and to dig deeper into a thing that continues to not satisfy as they break themselves and break other people along the way. You're taking something that was given by God as a gift to be experienced in thankfulness and in line with his vision for what he created. And when you think about it, if he created it, he probably knows how to use it. And and we're saying, nope, I'm gonna do it my way. And I'm going to take the gift that was never meant to fully satisfy me. Even experience the best way, sexuality is never meant to fully satisfy a person. Never meant to make me who I am, never meant to be my identity Uh, And and I'm going to make that my identity rather than the giver of the gift. It's very similar to the concept of getting your first car and going, no, 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 no. I'm not going to check how other people are doing this. I'm not going to ask the instructions on how to do this. I'm doing the wheel with my feet and I'm doing the pedals with my hands. That's how I want to do it. And and there are so many people in our culture who are walking around with, with the injuries, with the the wounds from their own sexual present or past, just just hanging over them and and like deep crevices in them. Deep-seated pain from from being abused or being used or from using people or just simply from trying to fill themselves up in this way, only to find that it isn't able to bear the burden of our identity. We live in a day in a culture where it is insisted upon again and again that that sex is both ultimate and doesn't matter that it is what makes me who i am and it doesn't matter what i do with it that you can be with whoever you want however you want for as long or short a relationship as you want and it won't matter and paradoxically we live in a culture where people typically get shocked when somebody actually lives that out to its logical implications people believe that it doesn't matter and so they abuse people damage people and then the world is shocked and astounded by how casually they did this when we've made casualness the theme of the day and when we meet the broken and the hurting church of this world we we have a a better way to offer our, our role in this is not primarily as the people who go out and say, no, you're doing it wrong, and no, you're doing it wrong, and no, you're doing it wrong, but to go out, and when we encounter the brokenness of what doesn't satisfy, and it doesn't satisfy, to offer Christ, to offer something better. Let me say, the better way, just to be really clear, is not simply, hey, you did that wrong, but go get yourself monogamous, and you'll be good. Like... (laughs) monogamous with someone of the opposite gender sure and and you'll be good Um, remember that's that's the fruit of our gospel identity that's the outworking of it not the identity itself no we have something better even than that when we meet people with with sexual brokenness sorry i realize this is a bit of a confronting thing today Um, from from trying to find themselves in their sexuality we have the offer of the gospel that there is one who created you and created your sexuality and you've run from that, but he came down from heaven to come to you and to save you. He went out to find you, to bring you home from your lostness and when you come to him, you truly find who you are in him. And And then you're in a place to heal in those other ways do you understand the gospel has to come first now that's you know if if you've just been kind of parents if you've been edging your chair a little bit and going he keeps saying the word sexuality guess what I'm done with that bit for today so that's that's good news but now we get onto this issue of of greed and and this one is quite different for us today in in the way that it comes out Uh, the pressure on the church and on Christians uh, to cave on sexuality, I just said I wouldn't say it, I said it, is real and it's felt. The pressure on greed is, is much more subtle, but just as real, just as present. Uh, and if anything, more pervasive, more frequently dived into headlong in the church without it being recognised. Church, the gospel calls us to live a radically different life with what God has given us. Uh, the, the ethic of greed is take and the ethic of the gospel is give remember last week paul called thieves to become workers and not just workers workers for the purpose of generosity to work in order to share to callous your own hands in order to give to others when you have been taking from others generosity is meant to be the financial ethic of the church and Paul tells us why. He says, because greed or covetousness, it reveals idolatry in the heart. It is idolatry. When we are living for the things of this world, uh, then it is plain that those things are our gods. What you live for is what you worship. It's pretty, pretty simple, really. And he says, someone who lives that way doesn't have a share in the inheritance of the kingdom. Those are serious words, aren't they? They hear what he's saying here. He's not saying uh, live generously and live with a godly sexual ethic so you'll have an inheritance. No, he's actually covered that already way back in chapter one. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. It's all him. It's none of us. But if we've gained the inheritance, then we are in Christ. He is our God. He is our hope. So we will live like it today by being a generous people. Do you see? Finally, we jump down to the bottom of this passage. Uh, and, uh, and at the bottom, Paul addresses an area which, again, is, is a long-standing pressure in our culture. And it really was in his day as well. Addiction, uh, literally drunkenness. Although you can, you can take a wide variety of addictions and just put them in here and replace the word drunkenness. And it works really well. In Paul's day, it was very common for drunkenness to be a part of a person's practice of religion. Uh, Pagan religions would include drunkenness as part of the worship ritual. Loss of control was part of the ritual through drunkenness. And Paul warns these Christians who have uh, perhaps come out of that background And he warns, we Christians who are in an alcohol-fuelled culture, don't cave. Don't be filled with wine. You have something better to be filled with. Be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with wine leads to debauchery, he says. In short, it leads to doing things that you're going to regret later. It leads to a loss of control and uncontrolled actions. Being filled with the Spirit leads to a good life, which you will not look back on with regret. Being filled with the Spirit, you're not gonna spend one day of eternity looking back and going, I wish I'd drunk more, wish I'd spent less time filled with the Spirit. Gosh, And, and honestly, you won't spend a day of this life looking back and going, that was wasted if you live your life in the Spirit of God leads to joy leads to a heart that sings to god and a community that rejoices in god and sings to one another of his goodness i want want to say this carefully Um, the normal experience of christians in the bible was one of moderation not prohibition and and i I say that because uh, basically because of communion actually um, because we know that wine was a day-to-day part of their lives. Uh, and, and I think the reason for that, um, is, there's plenty of reasons for that, but, but there is a reason for that that is the same as the reason for enjoying sexuality within the boundaries that God has placed on it uh, and enjoying money within an overall generous mindset. When we, when we use the things that God has given us, as gifts in the way that he has made them to be used we display what it looks like to live thankfully and we demonstrate a better way to the world than the way that they walk in now now don't hear me saying here that there's um there's no problem with saying you know um I don't, I don't want to drink it's okay not to drink alcohol you're not sinning if you don't drink alcohol um, you know maybe you have a history here and you know that it would be a very dangerous thing for you to drink uh, you are making the wise choice by not doing so maybe you have a family history which has affected you with some deep scars here uh, and, and affected you the way that you view this it is okay not to drink maybe you just don't like the stuff it's okay not to like alcohol it's okay not to drink it's okay all i'm saying is that the bible doesn't prohibit it and there is a way in which we can enjoy this which is thankful to god and which displays that thankfulness to a watching world which is visibly different to the way that the world enjoys alcohol trying to find themselves in it do you see what i mean But let me point you now towards something that runs throughout the whole of this section we kind of loosely pointed it out just then this whole section on morality has something that runs through it paul consistently gives us a way of living a state of the heart which will characterize a person who is not worldly but is godly and it might not be what we expect a a, a lot of people think or act like god's way of living is morally right but probably not very enjoyable Uh, there's an uh, old sinful sinful self in each one of us that whispers that lie to us on a regular basis. I don't know about you. I do know about you, actually, the Bible tells me. But Paul says in verse 4 and then again in verse 20 that rather than living in these ways, in these ways of brokenness, we should live with thankfulness. And you see the assumption that underlies the call to live with thankfulness. The assumption, which is correct, is this. It's better to live God's way. It leads us to be thankful because it is good. Not just morally better. More enjoyable to be filled with the Spirit than to be filled with wine. Better to live within God's bounds of sexuality than to dive into the worlds. Better to be generous. Better to give than to receive. Someone said that once, didn't they? And so when we approach our lives, our sexuality, our money, our alcohol, our consumption, in the way that God has called us to, our response to that should be thankfulness, not grouchiness. Indeed, we should engage them thankfully because they are gifts from God to be enjoyed from God. And he has graciously taught us how to enjoy them and more importantly, how to enjoy him as the giver. Now, there's an obvious question that arises out of all of this, doesn't it, isn't there? Which, which I'm guessing may even be gnawing at a few of us right now. What if I have these things in my life? You know, Paul says um, sexual immorality must not be named among you. And there's a person sitting here very uncomfortably in their chair and trying not to look nervous because they go, well, what do I do about this then? We say when he says must not be named among you, he doesn't mean never talk about it. He means this has to be very far from the people of God. But then he says something else. Paul knows that these are temptations for us, he knows we're flawed people who will fall and who will fail. Um, and, and that's why he gives us the beating heart of this passage right in the middle there, which we've kind of just skipped over until now. Paul shows us not just the morality that flows out of the gospel identity that we have. He also shows us that our gospel identity gives us a way to deal with sin. Down in in verse 8, Paul calls us to realise our identity. Have a look at this. He says, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. If that structure of you were, but now you are, feels a little bit familiar, it's because he's intentionally throwing us back to something that we saw earlier in this letter. He's done it earlier on. He's hammered it, in fact, because this is our gospel identity. You were dead in sin. You were following Satan's way. You were by nature children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made you alive together with Christ Jesus by grace you've been saved. (laughs) He's trying to remind us your identity is secure in the gospel. Your salvation, if you've believed in Jesus, is set. And he was reminding us of that because when we have sin to deal with, we can often fall for the lie that our sin has excluded us. That it's cut us out. And he says, no, no, you were darkness, but now you are light. But then he gives us an essential but challenging call. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, expose them. The gospel frees us to run from sin, but when there is sin in our lives, brother or sister, the gospel frees you to bring it into the light satan's going to be throwing all kinds of accusations at some people in this room right now telling you you'll be rejected if you bring sin into the light your greed is too deep-seated too long-running it can't be dealt with your sexual sin is too deep-seated too long-running it can't be dealt with telling you it's too big a thing telling you that the only thing to do is to follow after Adam and Eve, hide it and deny it and put push blame onto someone else. But God says to you, I've already dealt with it. It's dealt with. As much as Jesus died on the cross, it is dealt with. And if you leave it in the dark, it's going to fester, it's going to grow and it doesn't need to be there because there's a mystery here. Paul writes, anything that becomes visible is light. If you put it into the light, it becomes light. What he's not saying is that sin becomes less sinful if we do it in the open. He's saying sin dies in the light. It can't, darkness can't survive the light. So let me, as, as we finish today, I'm gonna open an invitation and finish on this note Uh, maybe you've got sin that you've been hiding maybe there's something in your life that has sat there undealt with for days weeks months or years that the lord is convicting you of right now sexual sin greed could be alcohol could be a different area of consumption could be completely unrelated to everything we've talked about this morning it's just sin that you know it Here's the invitation, here's, here's the guarantee. Your saviour has dealt with it if you've trusted in Jesus. It's dealt with, it's done. Here's the invitation, bring it into the light. You know, I'm, I'm gonna be around here afterwards. I'm not going home immediately after church. There's a bunch of Christians around you as well. If you find me a confronting person, if you find me a confronting person, please let me know that. But um, come, talk to a brother, talk to a sister, Bring it into the light. Don't leave it in the dark. Expose your sin and let it die. Jesus has dealt with it. Let's pray together. Lord, would you lead us to trust in our hearts that this is true, that our sins are dealt with? Would you lead us to know it in our whole selves that your cross and your empty tomb mean the death of our sin? It's defeated once and for all. Would you lead us to be a people who know it so much that we trust? And we trust it so much that we can can speak to others about it. We can put it in the open and say, this is this is what i've struggled with this is what i've been walking in this is what i've struggled so hard to put aside even though i've tried to get tried again would you walk with me in that in the gospel and make us a people who go yes yes let's let's live in the light together brother or sister jesus would you make us that people who aren't becoming a hypocritical display of holiness, pretending that everything is good, but are genuinely becoming the holy people of God as we are in the cross and the empty tomb through repentance and faith as a rhythm in our lives. I pray for boldness, courage. I pray for your spirit to be poured out on us and filling us for this. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.